everyone. Enough of that excitement. Just take a seat, you know. Over there in the wing, how you doing? Great. Oh, in our family room, welcome. Come on in if you are in the foyer. Technically, you're not here yet. All right, my name is Amy. I am part of Sierra Bible Church. Uh, it's actually my one-year anniversary as being part of the staff here. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's been a year. It's kind of weird. I feel much older. <sighs> All right. Uh, I am here to welcome you. If you are new in the building or if you've been visiting, we have a gift for you. It is a scripture journal for the book of Mark, and that is the book we are going through this morning. Uh, Pastor Caleb will be teaching today. Uh, but before we get into that, if you've been here all month long, you already know that Trunk or Treat is tomorrow because it's Halloween and that's how it works. So we are so thankful that you've provided us with barrels of candy. We can still take candy if you happen to bring some later or if you want to bring some tomorrow night, we will still use it. Um, but we have all of our trunks and our, our uh, cranes. There's like equipment coming in. Um, that makes the event um, a lot of fun, as well as a horse. And so all of these things will be happening tomorrow evening. Uh, I hope you're able to attend, or at least let your neighbors know about it. And if you are volunteering, we are very, very thankful. So please keep that in prayer. Um, and, and even if you aren't able to be there, we just want it to be a family fun event for our entire community. And so that is happening tomorrow. That is the last day of October. And then the fall is over. That's it. It's done because November 1st will arrive, and I don't think that's an official season date or anything, but for me, we roll into all of the events happening in November. I mentioned this one a couple weeks ago. It's Bob Smiley. If you don't know him, he is a Christian comedian, and we are having him November 5th. It's $20 for dinner and a comedy show, which is amazing and great. We actually have about 35 spots left, and so you can register online through our app to get that last spot. Um, it is adults only. There's no child care. And I apologize if some of you were trying to register last week. We were having some technical difficulties. So I know that you utterly failed in your attempt to register. But it's back up and running. And so you will succeed if you try again. Isn't that life, you know? Okay. All right. So that's Bob Smiley. Now, uh, a couple days after that, we have a baby shower for Gabe and Sarah. I don't think they're here right now. Uh, you know Sarah from up here. She's one of our worship leaders, and then Gabe is a deacon, actually. And so they are having a co-ed baby shower Monday evening on the 7th, welcoming their first baby in their family, in their immediate family. I think there's a lot of children in their family. But they are having their first baby, and so you are welcome to attend uh, that baby shower in, in uh, about a week. Uh, something else coming up after that, uh, I mentioned this also before, we have our boot drive, and this is not a big volunteer event like Trunk or Treat is, but if you do have a heart and you actually want to be there and give out the boots and meet the community members that might come in and get those winter boots, you can talk to me, you can talk to Brad, and we would love to have you there. Otherwise, we just ask that if you're able to contribute to a pair of boots there, we partner with Ace Hardware, they, we get them at wholesale cost, um, and we will be getting about 180 pairs. They're all children's sizes, so they are meant for uh, children in the community that may not get a new pair of boots uh, for the winter. And so that is a fun thing that we do. And again, it's an outreach to the community to let them know that we are available and, and there, and uh, we just want to give out uh, things that we have a plethora of. I'm sure there's many people in here that have many pairs of winter boots. And so we want to make sure those that don't have one 
get one this season. What else? Oh, yes. Turkey shoot. I'm not fully equipped to talk about the turkey shoot. I know a lot about it. It's a lot of fun. It's a very fun event. But I have John Howard here somewhere over here, and he's going to let you know about the turkey shoot. Thanks. Good morning. All right. Everyone's awake. We're ready to have a good time. Wonderful weather outside. Um, just want to tell you guys a little bit more about the turkey shoot. It's a family event, so come on out um, and have some fun. Someone did ask me, are we going to shoot real turkeys? I promise you, we are not going to release turkeys into an open field to let you have at it, chasing them around with shotguns. That is not going to happen. It's a target shoot competition. I know the visual is amazing, isn't it? No. We're going to do trap shooting. We're going to do a pistol shoot. We're going to do a target shoot with shotguns. It's great for the whole family. Bring everybody out. Kids under 12 need to be accompanied by their parents. Um, and we'll have safety officers on the range at all times. Very safe event. It's my top priority. Everybody have a good time, but it's in a safe, controlled environment. It's $15 fee. Register online with our SBC app. I only have nine people signed up yet. I need at least 15 to put this thing together. So sign up, sign on so we know how much to bring because we're bringing coffee, snacks, hot cocoa, things like that. We're going to start at 9 o'clock in the morning. And if you win, you get a $25 gift certificate to buy said turkey, not live from the grocery store. Once again, no turkeys are going to be harmed at this. And um, that'll be it. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Good morning, Sierra Bible Church. My name is Caleb Deer. I'm the youth pastor here. Would you turn in your Bibles to Mark, chapter, chapter 12? I forgot to do this first service, but Pastor Jesse, uh, pastor Jesse asked me to let the church know about my housing situation. I, uh, the house I'm currently renting is, is being sold, and I have a tentative lead on a, on a house, but it's, it's not certain. And so we're, <laughs> that's where I'm at. But if I was going to tell you something about my housing situation, it's ever since I have lived, I, I grew up in Truckee, went away, came back, married with a pregnant wife. And from that time on, God has provided time and time again for me to have housing here. Literally, the day before I moved to Truckee, like back to Truckee with a pregnant wife, um, a studio apartment opened up on Royal Crest up on the Strand in Glenshire the day before. And we had our first son, Shepard, there. And then uh, my wife got pregnant again. All four of our children were a surprise to me. All four of our children struck fear into my heart. <laughs> and... Um, I, I really, like, lament that because, like, my wife never had the experience of, like, yay, you're pregnant. It was always like, okay. <laughs> Baby number two, you know, she, I come home, and we're in this little 600-square-foot studio apartment with a, a baby and a dog already. And, like, you don't understand how, like, gnarly it is. I mean, if you've done the whole studio apartment thing with a crying baby, then you know. But if you don't, you don't know. I mean, I would walk around the coffee table when he was crying at night and then down some stairs to the front door and back up the stairs and around a coffee table. Like, that's, like, all the room we had. Um, 
And it's not like I could put him in another room. You just stand there in his crib and scream at me. Uh, so baby number two is coming. And I'm like, I remember like grabbing my Bible and walking out the front door and the Holy Spirit being like, you stay. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I, I went and locked myself in the bathroom and I just opened up my Bible and I was actually, I just, you're not supposed to do this, but I just opened it up and started reading through Daniel. And it's like, they all go into the fire and they're not burnt. <laughs> and that's like, that's what spoke to me. You're going to go into the fire, but you're, you're just going to lose your bondage. You're just going to lose the, the ropes that tie you up and, and I will be with you in the fire. And I, I was like, okay, all right. Like weeks before my daughter, my second child was born, we were able to move into a house weeks before. And then uh, that house got sold and we had to move again. And we were, we actually had to pack everything up, put it into my parents' garage. And then we got to stay with friends. Now don't, like, I had, a, I had a brother-in-law call me, are you guys okay? I heard you're staying with friends. Like, that sounds like really rough. At this point, we had three kids. And uh, we were staying in the Witten's Lodge, which if you don't know what that is, it's, if you're driving to Sierraville, halfway to Sierraville, there's this beautiful lodge on the right-hand side. Some of you have seen it, some of you haven't, but Ralph and Diana Witten owned that lodge. Ralph built that lodge, and they let us stay there for a couple months through, through the summer. And so, and we had it basically to ourselves. Like we got to stay in this beautiful lodge. And like, even in our quote unquote homelessness, we were (laughs) very well provided for. And um, I spent that summer doing multiple summer camps and it's coming to the end of summer, the end of summer camps. I'm actually serving at a junior high summer camp with my wife. We were both leading worship at this camp. And it's like, okay, come to the end of camp. We got to have a decision on where we're going to be living. And it was the day, the last day of camp. I get a phone call and a lady in the church opened up her house for us to rent for a very reasonable price. Um, but she could only rent it to us for a year. So it's like, oh, great, but not so great. <laughs> anyway, so we move in there. Um, that house actually got renovated for us before we moved in. A lot of people in the church pitched in and, and just spruced it up for us, and made it really nice. Six months, in, you know, that whole time though, I'm like, all right, Lord, like this is good for a year, but where are we going after this? Six months into that, Tim Rupert's like, hey, I got a house that I want to rent to you. <laughs> Through some pretty crazy circumstances. That, that's another story. Um, and that's where we're at right now. But uh, outside of Tim's control and other circumstances, that the house has, has to be sold. So this situation isn't new to my family. It's not fun for my wife. And if anything, when I, when I go through this stuff, I get to leave and go home, uh, go to work every day. <laughs> and she's at home with four kids. And so I'm like, Lord, I would like for my wife to have something consistent. That's my desire. But um, I think about like Psalms 90, like you have been our dwelling place, O everlasting God. And um, even just like in the Old Testament, the priesthood, they weren't allowed to own land. They weren't, they didn't have a plot of land given to them. The Lord was their portion. And so I'm just, all right, Lord, this is, you're going to provide. Unfortunately, usually trials work in a way that you're like, no, I'm, I'm good. I've, I've been through this before, but God, like almost like a workout, likes to bring you to the edge where you're like, okay, I'm not comfortable anymore. I don't like it. <laughs> like, I know we've done this before, but I'm really getting pushed to the edge. And I'm, I'm not quite there yet, so I'm like, it's coming. Um, be in prayer for us. And, that, and I, I just want to, like, if, if I'm going to tell you about my housing situation, I just want to proclaim that God has been faithful every step of the way that I have. I mean, my entire life, he has been faithful. And so... With that, would you please stand with me and we'll get into our study this morning.
Mark chapter 12, starting, we're, I'm just going to read a small section of today's passage, Mark 12, 32 through 34. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. You may be seated. Father, as we, we dive into your word, into your scripture, Lord, I, that's like maybe the saddest verse. No one dared to ask you any more questions. Lord, it's just as, as truth and light is starting to break into the hearts of these religious leaders, they stop, they pull back because they don't want to experience truth and love and light. They'd rather stay in darkness, Lord. And I pray this morning that you would give us courage and faith to believe that you're a, you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. You reward those who cling to you, Lord. Help us to believe that. Help us to believe that you're a giver and not a taker. Lord, I, I pray that you'd soften our hearts. Give us enough courage to continue to fight with you, continue to wrestle with you, to, kin, to, to continue to ask questions of you, Lord, that your light and your truth would break into our lives and you, we would be conformed into the image of Christ. Soften our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we're going to pick it up in Mark 12, verse 13. But before I get going, I, I, um, I want to read Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 20. Kind of, I think of this passage as three, three rounds. Like it's a fight against Jesus, the religious leaders against Jesus, and it's like a three-round fight. And um, if we want to get to know these opponents, I think Romans chapter 1, verse 20 helps communicate who they are in their heart. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. I think that passage is incredible that this sin that God sees as, with, hey, you have no excuse for this sin it's not murder. It's not abusing people. It's not lying. It's, it's ungratefulness and not honoring God as a creator. And I don't think any of us really, I mean, how often have you ever come to your pastor and said, I am so grieved that I'm not grateful. I got to confess this sin. It's on my heart. I mean, I don't know if I ever have. <laughs> we don't look at that sin and think, oh, it's really so bad. But Romans 1 tells us that we're without any excuse for that sin of ungratefulness and without honoring God as the creator. And that's the heart of these Pharisees, and uh, not just the Pharisees, but the, the religious leaders of this time. Um, round one starts off with the Pharisees and the Herodians stepping into the ring with Jesus. They're going to test him with questions. <clears throat> the Pharisees, you know, were known just for putting their 
<laughs> uh, virtue signaling. You know, they're just putting their religious effort and their uh, morality on display for everybody. They wore these big white robes. They would wear these little boxes on their, they tied to their forehead and on their wrist. They're called phylacteries. Inside was a, like a little scroll of scripture. I mean, it'd be like if I duct taped my Bible to my forehead, just so y'all knew, I'm thinking about the word. I, I've got it right here. I'm so much holier than you. <laughs> like, that's essentially what they were doing. But the most defining attitude or characteristic, the most important thing to, for us this morning is that the Pharisees really believed that God owed them blessing. They deserved it. And that, that heart of ungratefulness and that attitude that I deserve this, oh man, so much, so much sin has um, definitely come out in my own life from that attitude and that lie from the enemy. I deserve this. My, my, uh, my big sin is gluttony for sure. And not just like food or drink, but like even Netflix. Like I just like to binge. Like I, that's my sin. I want to binge and comfort myself. But that's my number. Like that's the lie, man. I've been good. I worked hard. I deserve this. <laughs> and I mean, that lie, man, that's, uh, it's full of pride. It's full of uh, a works-based theology. And it leads to all kinds of harm. I mean, if, uh, when I think of a guy justifying his, his sin in, in lust, and, and maybe women too, I, I deserve this. I'm going to take care of me. That lie is dangerous. And the Pharisees just, they, they live in that and operate, the religious leaders of this time, they operate and live in this, this place of, I deserve this. I've earned it. Or God owes me this. And that, that ungratefulness darkens the heart and it makes them fools. So uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 13 says this. And they sent to him, oh, real quick, let me set the scene. I, I haven't done that yet. Jesus is at the temple, most likely like standing out in the, you know, the courtyard and, and there's, uh, we got the chief priests and the scribes, the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees. And they're all kind of ganging up and they're going to have this three-round match against Jesus. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees, this is verse 13, and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So this question that they bring to, to Jesus, it's, it's super, it's highly politically, it's a lot of trouble. <laughs> like on either side, their, their goal, their hope is that no matter which way Jesus answers, he's going to get in trouble. Um, if he says, pay the taxes, then the, Jews, the Jewish people get mad at him and, and they're like, well, he can't be our Messiah. He's, he's bowing the knee to Caesar. And if, if he says, don't pay the taxes, then he gets in trouble with the Romans as a rebel. And so they can accuse him on either side of this thing. And Jesus, 
takes their question and just answers it on a whole other plane. Instead of just digging into it with them, he takes it to this other level, this, this more heavenly perspective, really, and just elevates the whole thing. And they marvel at it. He asks for a coin, a, a Roman denarius. And he's like, whose picture and name is on this? Caesar's. And it's got his name on it. He's like, it literally has his picture and name on it. Give it to him. It belongs to him. You know, if you got stuff out there in the world, if it has your picture and your name on it, usually it belongs to you. <laughs> and that's he's like, he's like, give it to him. But the, the, the point he's really making, the point that they marvel at, he's saying, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but render to God the things that are God's. And he's saying that you're made in the image of God. You're made in his image. His name is over you. Give yourself to him. Surrender your life to him. And something that I, I think might be interesting is that most people then would have assumed, hey, these guys have definitely surrendered themselves to the Lord. They wear the robes. They've got the phylacteries. They, they, they serve in the temple all the time. Some of these, you know, I mean, they, if anybody has surrendered their lives to the Lord, it's these religious leaders, clearly. And Jesus is looking at their hearts. He's like, no, you haven't. You're trying to earn it. There hasn't been this surrender and just this love of the Lord in their life. They'd rather sacrifice animals, stack dead bodies, and be covered in blood rather than receive God's love in their life and love the Lord. Verse 18. Ding, ding, ding. Round one is over. Round two is beginning. It's almost like a WWE match because they're tapping in a, a tapping in a buddy. And um, the Sadducees come in. This is a terrible preacher slash dad joke, and um, it's help, it'll be helpful for you to remember who the Sadducees are. Um, verse 18 says, And the Sadducees came to him, who say there is no resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. <laughs> they don't believe in heaven. They, I know, it's so bad. <laughs> but it's really helpful to remember. Um, they don't believe in heaven or hell. They don't believe in angels or demons. Um... I tried to dig into this. I'm like, who wants to join that club? Like, what a terrible club. Like, why would you want to do anything? Like, um, I think, and like the digging that I was able to do, and honestly, it wasn't a lot, but it, there was an idea that like, well, we should serve God just to serve God without a desire for reward or a fear of punishment, which on the surface kind of seems noble. Like, oh yeah, yeah, just to serve him because he is God. And so, but that like turned into this idea, well, there isn't a heaven and there isn't a hell. I think it's really important to know that that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches that you should serve God because there's a reward in it. There is blessing in it. Um, I mean, that's what Hebrews eleven six says, that he who would draw near to God must believe that he exists, which makes a lot of sense, that if you're going to draw near to something, you believe it's there, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I mean, Hebrews 11, he's talking about, that's like the like essence of faith, is that you believe that God exists, duh, and that he's a, a rewarder of those who dilig diligently seek him, that God is a giver and not a taker. So this, this idea, it's, it's really limiting the power of God or the goodness of God. You know, we have this idea in heaven of heaven's perfect, and that's not a good, it's not the best description of heaven. Uh, perfect, perfection has this, I know you're like, wait a second, Caleb, what are you saying? <laughs> perfection has this idea of like 100%. That like, okay, we're going to get to 100% and we're good, we're done. And that's not 
biblical, actually. That's, it's a very Western idea. We like our little boxes, 100%, boxes full, good to go. But the biblical idea of heaven and eternity and even God is, God is eternally good. And so his goodness is going on. I mean, that's like the idea C.S. Lewis is getting at, that further up and further in, that's heaven. It's, it's the eternal goodness of the Lord. We limit his goodness and his power all the time. And that's what Jesus is going to call these guys out on. Verse, uh, let me finish verse 18. The Sadducees came to him, who say there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. That makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Like nowadays, it's like, I got to marry my sister-in-law if my brother dies. Um... Back then, the idea was that she needs to have a son to take care of her in her old age. They also, um, it was very important that the family line would, would uh, continue on. Um, Jesus has to be born, and he's got to come from the Jewish family. Um, so it's very important that these families continue on. Um, back then, if you didn't have children, if you didn't have sons... When you got older, nobody was there to take care of you. Family was the only way that you could get taken care of. So the Pharisees are, sorry, the Sadducees are going to propose this. They're trying to make the resurrection look ridiculous. Verse 20, And there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seventh left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the, re in the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Those are some dumb brothers. Something was going on. <laughs> you think like brother number three would have caught him hey, a second. <laughs> it's a ridiculous question. And Jesus responds in verse 24. Jesus said to them, it is not, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they are neither married, sorry, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. I only think, I've never heard a person who's been married a while have a problem with that verse. Only Christians who are not married have a problem with that verse. Wait a second, we're not married in heaven? What's up with that? I want to be eternally bound to my spouse. <laughs> If you've been married a while, you're like, I just want to be married to Jesus. I'm good. <laughs> that was funny. I, first service laughed way harder at that. Th think about it a little bit more. No, maybe. Um, you know, before you're married, you're like, I don't want to wear a dress. I don't want to be the bride of Christ. And after you're married for a little while, no, it's all right. It sounds good. <laughs> The Pharisees are making the mistake. I mean, this is the part of the, you know, Jesus' answer where they're not realizing the power of God, his eternal goodness, and, and just how much greater heaven is than this world. It's not the same there as here. It's different. It's on a whole other plane. You know, um, intimacy in marriage is supposed to help us understand a little bit the oneness of our relationship with Christ. I mean, that's the design. And unfortunately, in our culture, sex has become such a perverted thing that it even really skews our idea of it in, in, a, in a good, godly marriage. Like, 
you know, the water in which we live in and swim in has tainted our view of that intimacy. It's supposed to point to the intimacy with Christ. I mean, and we're guilty of making that all about performance, aren't we? Instead of just about connecting and loving somebody. We really underestimate the, the power and the goodness of God. And even these gifts that he's given us to help us understand that and help us to, in, to, that is supposed to help us understand and enjoy him more. And we, we mess that up. Verse 26. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the living. You are quite wrong. Jesus is saying, God didn't say he was the God of Abraham. He said, I am the God of Abraham. And he's referring to the books of Moses because that's all that the Sadducees received as scripture. They didn't receive all the prophets and, uh, and the other Old Testament books. They only received the first five books, the books that Moses wrote. And so Jesus meets them on their own playing ground, uh, playing field. And, uh, he could have quoted passages out of Daniel or out of Isaiah that talk about the resurrection of the body. Um, and he, he meets them where, with their understanding. But he's pointing out, like, you, you've limited God's goodness and power. And you don't know the word. You're not in it. Ding, ding, ding. That's the end of round two. Um, in Matthew's gospel, the, the, the same story is accounted, and there's almost this idea that the, the religious leaders and the Herodians, I don't even know why those guys were necessarily invited, except that they were like an opposing political party, and maybe they had some numbers, but they're not necessarily known for being religious. They kind of like surrendered over to Greek culture. So the Sadducees, the Herodians, the scribes, the, the high priests, and the Pharisees in Matthew's gospel, you kind of almost get this idea that they have like a huddle at this point. They're like, okay, we're not doing so good. And they kind of send uh, a lawyer or a scribe out, and and it's not like a lawyer like nowadays, but like somebody who just studied the law. All right, you go at him. And, but in Mark's account, we get a little bit of his like disposition and attitude towards Jesus. And it's, there's a softening happening here in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? See, his heart's a little softer. He's like, man, like, Jesus is answering so well. <sighs> Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the Shema. And um, it's something like with, with this one little phrase, Jesus has established common ground for all the Jews in the area. Since Abraham left you know, the city and became a sojourner following God through the wilderness in a tent. He served one God. Like, I'm, well, I mean, their belief system and their theology was there is one God. And that set them apart as a people from everyone else in the world. Everybody that they encounter is, is uh, polytheistic. They, they worship many gods. And, and <coughs> this would have kind of resonated deep in their guts a little bit. Like this is the thing that sets them apart from everybody else. And he establishes this with this one phrase, this common ground for everybody. In verse 30, 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the soul, with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. When I was reading through this the first time, I, I mean, you come across that and you're like, why? Or, why is everybody so threatened by that answer? To love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Why, why is that so threatening that no one dared ask him any more questions? In a sense, nobody dares to step in the ring again with Jesus. And, and the answer is in what the scribe said, right? The scribe says, to love the Lord your God uh, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. They've got to surrender all of their, I deserve this, I've earned this. They've got to let all that go and receive by grace the love of God to just enjoy him. And it's so sad. I mean, these guys have, they've come to attack Jesus. And in three short rounds, light's starting to break through into all of their hearts. They're starting to see the truth. But they disengage from the fight. They quit. They're like, nope, I'm out. I'm out of here. I don't want to engage with Jesus anymore. And I think it's amazing. I think it's beautiful that just in three short rounds of fighting with Jesus, light is starting to break through in their lives. And it's so tragic that they disengage after this. And that's like, my heart's just been heavy. I, I mean, reading this passage, I'm just, I'm sad when I read that because it's like, I know that there's probably people in the room and because I, I know I've struggled with this too. There comes a point where you're just struggling with sin and you're just like, I just want to give up and give into it. Like I've failed again and I just, I'm tired of trying to fight this fight. You just feel like you're failing all the time and, and just that I've done that. I've been there and I know what that's like to just get so overwhelmed with your own failure time and time. Again, you're just, I'm tired of putting up a fight at all. I'm tired of resisting. I'm just going to give into it. Or maybe you got a trial in your life because somebody you love just seems like their heart is hardened and darkened and it's just, you're tired of just praying for them. You're like desperate to do anything to see change happen. It's just that the, the fatigue is real. I just, I was listening recently this week and to this guy talk about combat and talking about fighting and like these four principles, principles of fighting is like the ability to engage in fight and to disengage in fight. The ability to like end a fight with like a knockout punch or a nuclear bomb. But the fourth one is the ability to endure. And man, I just, Satan's a master at combat. You know, he just sneaks in and sneaks out. He, sometimes he throws a knockout punch at you, but uh, I think a lot of times he just wears on you. And, or, you know, even your own flesh, just the endurance, right? It's hard to continue on when um, it's just, you don't see any progress. You don't see any ex success in what's going on. It just seems like there's only darkness going, going on in that, in that heart. 
Maybe it's yours or maybe it's somebody you love. Light will break through. Just don't stop wrestling with Jesus. And whether it's, you know, you're wrestling for somebody else or you're wrestling with your own sin, don't stop wrestling with Jesus. What that practically means is probably just keep showing up at church. Just keep showing up at Bible study. You know, um, keep getting up in the morning and reading your Bible. Keep wrestling with Jesus. I mean, even if you're just coming at him to fight him, I love how in the, like when Jesus shows up to the disciples, it's like one of my favorite past parts of the whole New Testament is like, you know, he shows up to Thomas and they're all kind of like, whoa, scared that he's there. And um, he says, come put your finger, come put your hands in my wounds. He's not afraid of how you approach him. Even if you're totally upset, even if you want to try and trick him, even if you want to try and put him in the wrong, if you continue to wrestle with Jesus, light breakthrough. I think my favorite um, picture of this in the Old Testament, it's probably, I think it's my favorite story. It's one, everything's my favorite. But um, I love when, when Jacob wrestles with Jesus in the middle of the night. Um, Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. Genesis 32, 24. Jacob has sent all of his possessions and servants, all of his cattle to meet his brother Esau. Esau's really upset because Jacob took his blessing away, tricked him out of it. And then he sends his wives and his children ahead of him and he's all by himself. And he's hoping that, you know, the servants and the cattle and the kids and the wives are gonna soften up Esau's heart before he sees Jacob. He's, he's trying to soften his brother who could take him out. And so he's all by himself, left alone at night, and he's going to see Esau the next morning. Verse 24, uh, Genesis 32, 24, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man, that's Jesus, saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Jesus just comes out of nowhere in the dark of night and starts grappling with Jacob. He has no idea who this guy is. And, and they're fighting, and, and Jesus isn't putting all of his weight into the fight, obviously, but at some point he does. He touches his hip, and boom, it's dislocated. And so there's this picture in our, our, our mind of Jacob lying on the ground, clinging to Jesus' feet, saying, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm not letting go. And, and Jesus responds, this is a Christophany, Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. And he looks down, he's like, what's your name, Jacob? He's like, not anymore, it's Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. It's like Jesus is saying, you won. And it's like, he's on the ground with his hip dislocated. He's like, you're the winner. You won. I'm changing your name to Israel because you won. And that doesn't make any sense unless you look at Jesus on the cross. Because he switched places with us. And you know, that's what the, the New Testament says, that he is the propitiation for our sins. And the best way I know to define that word is the great switcheroo. That 
that Jesus switched places with me as a sinner. He took my spot as a sinner so that I could take his spot as a champion, so I could take his spot as a, a child of God. So wherever you're at this morning, if, you know, my heart's just heavy for, for those of you who are struggling with your own sin, who are struggling with somebody's, you know, darkened heart. Maybe it's yours or somebody you know, somebody you love, and, and you're just getting fatigued. You're tired. Don't stop asking questions. Don't step out of the ring. I mean, even if your hip's dislocated and you're on the ground, just cling. Cling to him. Hold on. He will declare you the winner because of his incredible work on the cross. The light will break through. It's so tempting to just to give up, whether it's your own sinner or you're tired of striving for, for someone you love. It's, fatigue's real. Endurance is hard. I do, I, I, I train jujitsu all the time and I'm a bigger guy in the gym and I'm strong. And there's a couple little guys, they know that if they just run around, run circles around me long enough, I gas out, I get tired, I get fatigued. And then I'm just like, just choke me out already. I'm done, I'm tired. I don't wanna play anymore. And, and the enemy knows that too. He knows that I'm just gonna make him fatigue. Don't let go. Don't stop asking questions. Lord, I pray for, your light to break into the hearts of this, this body, Lord. That where that, that lack of gratitude, that lack of honor, that you're the creator, that you're the Lord, I pray, Lord, that soften our hearts. Give us enough faith to fight with you if, if need be. Lord, to continue to ask questions of you, Lord, I pray that you'd soften our hearts. Lord, that gratitude would be something we use as a weapon against the enemy. Lord, we would honor you that you're the creator. You're in charge. You're the one who makes things happen. We don't have to step out and do it. In fact, you, you, Lord, this whole passage, it's, it's filled with guys who wanted to make their own righteousness happen. They wanted to do it on their own instead of just surrendering to you, Lord. I pray that, Lord, help us to, to just continue to faithfully engage with you. And thank you that your grace is the thing that changes us, Lord. Your light breaks through the darkness. And I just pray that you would soften hearts this morning. Give endurance to people who, who are struggling, Lord, who want to, to quit, to tap out, Lord. I pray you place courage in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, friends, let's stand together. and We haven't sung this song in a, a long time, but um, it ties into the message of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. That's the basis of, of what we're going to sing. And one of our core values as worship teams that we want to convey to you guys that we can come and celebrate. Celebration sometimes is making a loud shout for the Lord or clapping your hands or um, in adoration praise. We want to extend that to you. So this morning, um, if you'd like, you can put your hands together and uh, kind of keep the beat for us. It goes like this.